it's Thursday. That's it. It's it's a fucking Thursday. Again, they just keep coming. They just keep coming. So you may recall that in our last episode, actually, I'm just going to play the tape. Um, Let's have some fun for the next episode. It should come in timeline right about the time that the new Mortal Kombat comes out in, uh, in theaters and on HBO now. So let's just go ahead and do the soundtrack to Mortal Kombat, the movie. Fuck yes. I just want to stop right there. Can you hear that? That's, yeah, I, I, remember. I remember. Yeah, you can hear the excitement in my voice. That's uh, That was genuine. Uh, that was me getting ready to bust out the CD that I still own to the 1995 cinema classic Mortal Kombat and rock the fuck out. I'm sure our listeners would want to talk about that, too. Uh, it, it was awesome. It's got music from Fear Factory, uh, Typo Negative, Napalm Death, KMFDM, Gravity Kills. It's fucking great. So I start writing for that soundtrack, and then Nick tells me, oh, um, actually, I was talking about the soundtrack to Mortal Kombat Annihilation, and that is the 1997 piece of shit soundtrack for the piece of shit film of the same name. Nick, why don't you tell them why we're going to be talking about this album today? Because uh, I, I listened to this one a lot more than the first one, and... Uh... Yeah, I I just uh, I I got the two soundtracks confused. I guess. Yeah. I okay. Know. Great. Great. Yeah. Hey, it's about it's about time I made you listen to a piece of shit. You do it to me every fucking two weeks. This is revenge. This is revenge. Okay. So, at this point for me, it's like waking up on Christmas morning and just knowing that Santa brought you that huffy bike that you've been dreaming about. Only to find a bum squatting underneath your tree, <laughs> right in the middle, just taking the longest, most turgid, greasiest shit of all time. <laughs> like he's just growing a tail right where your huffy oh, bike should be. Man. There's one final twist to this, though. Last week, Nick hits me up and he says, hey, we might need to not record this. I'm super busy at work and I haven't had time to write and... Guess what? We don't have any backup episodes recorded. That's because we had a se- we had two seasons. Yeah, <laughs> we used yeah. to like do a, some episodes and then take some time off to write and record. And we're just we're just dropping content out for you people. <laughs> yeah, and because we can't leave our listeners hanging like that. Yeah, all forty eight of you. <laughs> I agree to write the episode, and I'm I'm very grateful, Kevin. Thank you yeah, for doing that. Yeah. So so now th- this bum who's shitting under my Christmas tree while he's shaking with his clenched teeth and the beads of sweat on his brow as he works to push out like this coil of brown rope that's been fermenting in his colon and and all of a sudden you see little speckles of blood appear on your carpet because his (laughs) fucking hemorrhoids have burst open while birthing this foulness hey Bukowski settle down Oh, boy. So I want to stop there and recognize that using people without housing and untreated mental illness as a comedic prop is kind of shitty. So I want to let everybody know that Nick will be donating $25 to Avenues for Youth, which is an organization that provides assistance to LGBTQ plus uh, young adults struggling with homelessness. And he will be posting the receipts on Instagram. Great. Thanks. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. So a few things about Mortal Kombat. 
Mortal Kombat is a franchise that started in 1992 with an arcade game created by Ed Boon and John Tobias and published by Midway Games. Shortly thereafter, it would be released on almost every home gaming system of the time. And when it did, it caused an absolute shitstorm. Nick, did you own this game? We used to go to the Sam's Club when I was a little kid, and they had the game. And if you remember why Mortal, Mortal Kombat was such a, a, an epic game for a lot of reasons, but it was one of the first games where like they looked like people. Yeah. You know, they weren't like cartoons like Street Fighter. There was like a game called Pit Fighter, which I think was the first one that looked like real people. And then Mortal Kombat was the first big one. But I used to just be so stoked to go to Sam's because I have a couple quarters in my pocket. Yeah, I did ultimately get the game. Uh, I had it on Genesis. Yeah, I had it on Genesis as well. Uh, every we that was the the original console war, right? Do you get it on Genesis or SNES? And on SNES there was no blood. Yeah, which was bullshit. <laughs> so uh, I think that was actually one of the main reasons I wanted yeah. a Sega. Uh, yeah, it was the same experience for me. Uh, there was a supermarket down the street from me that had the Mortal Kombat arcade game, and even when I didn't have any quarters. All the kids in my school used to go there just to watch other people play this arcade game. Yeah, it was that cool. I want to share a, a clip very briefly so that you can see the kind of like terror that this inspired. As some parents think is just too violent for their kids. Carol Lynn joins us live now from Northridge with more on that story. Carol? Here it is, Bob, behind me. It's called Mortal Kombat. We're going to talk to Aaron Brandis here about the game. Aaron, how does it work? Well, basically, you pick a couple characters, you do maneuvers on the joysticks and buttons. You do, uh, you do moves, and, and then whoever wins. to get to? Fatality? Nah, there's a master guy you gotta beat at the end. Fatalities are just what happens if you're really brutal to your opponent. You get an opponent, you can rip off his head or something like that. Sounds like a pretty thrilling game, and this is the kind of violence that critics are pretty worried about. Pretty awesome, right? Yeah, I feel like that kid handled himself pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, get out of here with your gotcha tactics. Yeah. <laughs> His gaze never broke the screen. He was just yep. like, yeah, you know, you just do some things and stuff. Do some maneuvers. So right now on the screen, we're watching the original Fatality, and I believe Sub-Zero has just ripped off Liu Kang's head and the spine yes. is dangling. This was br brutal when it came out. Oh, yeah. Have you kept up to date with what Mortal Kombat games look like now? A little bit. I watched uh, some videos a, a couple games ago, but I no, honestly, I haven't really paid attention to fighting games at all. Yeah, this is what parents have to deal with now. Herman wins. Fatality. So... <laughs> wow. Uh, so that was... um. A character telepathically lifting another one and breaking all of his bones. And then while he's suspended in air, pulls his intestines from his mouth, rolls them into a ball and just spikes it. And it looks real. It looks like it's happening right in yeah, front of was, you. That was something. Yeah, so um, video games have come a long way. A at that point in our young lives, just a game where you could tear someone's fucking head off was awesome. Anyway, Mortal Kombat would go on to be one of the biggest video games on the planet. To date, it has spawned 18 games, both an animated and live-action television series, a web series, two novels, two series of trading cards, a bunch of comic books, three feature-length films, and a live theatrical show that debuted at Radio City Music Hall, and eight music albums, of which this is one. 
Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it's a vibe. The Mortal Kombat universe has become so big with its own ever-expanding mythology, it would be a fool's errand to try and get it all in here. So instead, we will focus on this one terrible, terrible album. Mortal Kombat Annihilation was the follow-up film to the surprise success of 1995's Mortal Kombat. The original Mortal Kombat was produced for $18 million and grossed $122.2 million at the box office. It spawned an excellent soundtrack, which I mentioned at the top of the episode, and that soundtrack went platinum in under a year and reached number 10 on the Billboard 200. Both of these were released by TVT Records, and in retrospect, that is the perfect fit. In 92, the Chicago industrial label Wax Tracks was acquired by TVT, and a lot of those classic industrial albums from the early 90s bear the dual TVT Wax Tracks insignia on them. Nick, I know that you grew up around those parts. Did the TVT Wax Tracks sound ever... So, like, to be honest, like, because I was um, young, you know, at this time... I hadn't started going into Chicago for shows and stuff. I still live like an hour and a half away in the suburbs. It was just a year or two before I started going into the city for shows, but Mm -hmm. um, I didn't even know at that time that that sound was coming from Chicago, or at least was being filtered through Chicago. Um, But this industrial sound was something that I loved the first time I heard it, I think. Oh, yeah. And it was probably through Mortal Kombat that I got exposed to it originally. And then, you know, we had songs, and we've talked about this before, but like Gravity Kills had a radio hit. That was like, what is this? And like, I knew of Nine Inch Nails because some scary kids at school had wearing their <laughs> shirts, so, but I didn't know what it was. Yeah. So yeah. like, that's kind of how I backdoored my way in. But at the time, this was like the heaviest music that was available to me. Agreed. So between the two Wax Tracks and TVT, they now had a roster of acts like KMFDM and Sister Machine Gun and more to choose from. And as is the case with most soundtracks, it's a combination of artists contributing songs that either were their big single at the time, uh, it's a remix of a song, it's a B-side, a demo version, or some combination of all the former. And the Mortal Kombat soundtracks were no exception to that. The key difference here is in their approach. As you may have guessed with the roster of the original, it was a heavy album that was punctuated with these techno palette cleansers that made the whole album a journey. Uh, I think it's safe to say that this album was the introduction point for a lot of people uh, to both metal and techno. MK Annihilation, on the other hand, leaned heavily into techno. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, Yeah, there are hardly any heavy bands on here, and they're there, don't get me wrong, but they are completely drowned out by the sound du jour of 97, rave music. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I think uh, they called it Big Beat. Big Beat, yes. Or, uh, as is the case here, Happy Hardcore. Mm -hmm. At this point in the 1990s, stateside raves had gone from these illegal underground warehouse parties to big productions that, while still skirting the law, they did so brazenly. It was way more accessible and often held in legitimate venues who really had no idea what the hell was happening and just rented out the space. We had these in my town uh, at the Millennium Center, which was an old courthouse and post office, and was also a fallout shelter in case the Reds made their move. So (laughs) it had this huge 
underground to it, which made it perfect for nonstop open air drug use that would kick off at 10 p.m. and go till 6 a.m. These happened in every city across the country until somebody died and then the cops got involved. Right. And I, and I, I never got to experience any of that because I feel like I was just a little bit too young. Like I remember like yeah. people a little older than me were all about that stuff. And then like it skipped over through our 20s and 30s and then came back again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it's the weirdest thing. I never went to any of these because A, I couldn't afford tickets and B, I couldn't afford drugs. Right. But yeah. And like when a kid at my school showed up with like a pass fire and a visor on it's like okay i lost you as a friend yeah that happened to me for real like um my whole friends group like my well, would have been around my senior year of high school just totally changed and like yep. half of them yeah started wearing candy and like oh uh, you know ecstasy got huge and like i just had no interest in it at the time like i was you know playing guitar and bands and shit and i was like nerds yeah. everybody all of a sudden was turning into a dj and like i literally like my my oldest friend and I like went our separate ways. We reunited years later, and he's like a brother to me again. But like we actually had a falling out for a couple of years because I was like, "You're turning into a loser," and I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm still wearing a trench coat and a chain wallet. And <laughs> what happened to you? You changed. Yeah, I, I don't like your style. Your clothes are weird. <laughs> uh, yeah. So all of these elements converge onto MK Annihilation. Let's get into it. Hell yeah. So I will, uh, I'll kick off this review by saying that no, all, no matter what Kevin says about this record, <laughs> I will go to my grave stating th that this is a better album than Frankenstein Girls Will Seem Strangely Sexy by Mindless Self-Indulgence. I would listen to this every day if I never had to hear Mindless Self-Indulgence again. I listened to this, this album for a week. This is my mindless self-indulgence if I were you, if that makes, this is fucking terrible, Nick. Uh, oh, this is so bad. I, uh, I I think we're gonna disagree on a few of these songs, perhaps. I, I think we are. All right. First up is The Immortals with theme from Mortal Kombat, Encounter the Ultimate. The Immortals is the name of musicians Praga Khan and Oliver Adams. And this duo used the name for the Mortal Kombat theme, which was originally titled Techno Syndrome. And that's it. That's all they've ever done with this name. Do you know what they're known for outside of this? I, I do, and I didn't until I started looking up stuff for this show. But those dudes were Lords of Acid. Yes. Yes, they were. Do you remember the first time you ever saw a Lords of Acid album cover? I'm about to show that to you. Okay, great. Let's, yeah, let's, <laughs> let's go. There's two things our listeners really need to know about Lords of Acid. It is very, very techno and very pornographic. Both in imagery and in sound. Yeah, here's a Lords of Acid song. Mr. Macho Man, is it true that all the girls want to come on you? <laughs> yeah, amazing. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny because you can actually hear, now that you know that that's Lords of Acid, mm -hmm. and you listen to the Mortal Kombat theme song, you're like, oh, shit. Yeah, this is Lords of Acid. And you know how, um, so they, they were given, like, a whole bunch of samples and sound effects to use. So that's why mm -hmm. you hear it. You'll hear, like, fight, 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 you know, like, yeah. just hit yeah. the button. In their albums, they do that with clips from porno movies. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to know 
how they wound up getting this gig. Like, yeah. Hey, hey, boss, who do you want to write the uh, video game song? I don't know. Get those two perverts to do all the songs about <laughs> anal. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I like how uh, they had no idea that it was successful. Like, it, they tracked the album. They wrote a song for every character in the yeah. video game. And then, like, okay, we're done. Back to our regular job of making albums about, you know, devil women and whatnot. <laughs> Getting um, fucked. <laughs> I have a very big problem with this song. This is not the classic Mortal Kombat theme song. fucking awesome right this version on mk annihilation sounds like the remix you'd hear at like nether realms pride week and here's my other problem with it they changed the lyrics the true lyrics to mortal kombat are test your might mortal kombat fight mortal kombat excellent kano Liu kang raiden johnny cage scorpion sub-zero sonya mortal kombat that's it those are the lyrics but they just packed this film with so much bullshit that they had to change the lyrics. So here's the new version. Excellent. Okay. Sonya. Jax. Kitana. Jade. Sub-Zero. Scorpion. Cyrax. Smoke. Who gives a fuck about <laughs> any of these people? What the fuck? <laughs> I'm still not mad at it. I mean, they introduced all the characters. They had a precedent set. Yeah. Cyrax. Smoke. I forgot there was a Minotaur in this. Me too. I, yeah. I, I, I have not, Um, I watched some clips, uh, but I have not like sit down and watched this movie in, you know, 20 years. So I saw this movie in the theater and oh, man. yeah. Yeah, I ran into some kids uh, from high school, some cooler kids, and, like, I was in my weekend goth gear. So, like, you know, maybe a little eyeliner, maybe, a, you know, uh, yeah, just doing it up a little, little, maybe little, a little clo clove cigarette. Yeah, you know, just some, just some Vampire the Masquerade action. Maybe I just came from a little uh, LARPing. I, you know, who knows? Who can say? But they were like, hey, we're going to go see, I don't know, Adam Sandler. It's like, what are you going to go see? Mortal Kombat. <laughs> just... I think that was one of those moments where I was like, I need to keep all the things I like to myself. <laughs> Next up are our friends from Germany, Rammstein with yes. Engel. So this is the this is the first Rammstein song I ever heard. Um, have you ever heard the English version of it? Live in virtue, no desire. And in the grave and angels choir. You look to heaven to wonder why. No one can see them in the sky. I do not know. No, that feels that feel, that's like seeing your teacher at the supermarket. That just feels wrong. Um, yeah, they changed all the words to make them rhyme in English. Um, I've decided what Rammstein sounds like. Okay. Remember Carl from Die Hard, the one with the long blonde hair. If Carl started a band, it would be Rammstein. Yes, it would. Next up, it's uh, it's time to bring out the German JV squad. Uh, we've got KMFDM with Megalomaniac. All right, so this is why I bought the album. Okay. I 
heard Juke Joint and Jezebel, I think, from the first soundtrack. And then I started mm-hmm. to um, – KMFDM released a ton of singles. So you could just go buy, like, a CD single. Oh, yeah. So I had a bunch of them. And they had this one iconic artist that drew all of their – Brute. Their yeah, yeah. And they just all looked like these crazy comic book action scenes. And, like, I just thought KMFDM was so cool. So that that was the main reason that I bought this album. Yeah, I think I was probably on board with you there. Uh, I loved KMFDM. Uh, this was the lead single off of their 97 album, Symbols. And this was also the point where I really stopped listening to KMFDM. Nihil and Extort were my jams. Oh, yeah. But after a while, like, every song just sounds like KMFDM doing a commercial for KMFDM. Yeah, I mean, this song extremely does. KMFDM, bad, the best, the best. Yeah, like, and and that's how all of them start to go. I just want to read this line from their their Wikipedia. So this the KMFDM was uh, it started as a performance art project between this painter Sasha and the multimedia artist Udo. Anyway, this is the quote: Their first show consisted of Sturm playing an ARP twenty six hundred synthesizer. Udo playing vacuum cleaners and bass guitars with their amplifiers spread throughout the building, and four Polish coal miners pounding on the foundations <laughs> of the Grand Palais. <laughs> so everybody's like, how did industrial music get its sound? It was coal miners just banging on the floor. How shovels. did they know they were Polish coal miners? Uh, I don't know. He met them in a bordello. They must have told him. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Yeah. There's nothing happy about KMFDM. One of the lyrics in this song is like a fiendish tropic virus spitting bile at all you whores, razor sharp tongue and cheek poking in your open sores. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Shit's, shit's bleak. Well, I mean, think about when they grew up, though. Like, they formed in 84. They're German. There's a Berlin Wall. Yeah. Depending yeah. on what side they were on, there was no joy. <laughs> <laughs> but instrumentally, it's pretty solid, I think. I, I like. I still occasionally will put on KMFDM, but I oh, agree yes. with you that they, you know, pat themselves on the back all the time. I hope you enjoyed that, cause <laughs> get ready for Megadeth. <laughs> all right, so I'm just gonna I, a little bit here. Dave Mustaine, the lead singer and guitar player of Megadeth, fucking sucks. Like, I hate this guy. He is a human participation trophy, dude. You know, Metallica lives. And this dude's head so hard that he named his daughter after their record label. I'm not kidding. Her name is Electra Mustaine. No. Yeah. She just put out an album. Like, she's an adult now. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, like, I hate his stupid voice. Like, it takes a mortal man. (laughs) Watch him become a god. It's so bad. Hello, me. It's me again. It's me. It's the real me. I hate Megadeth. Have you heard the original version of this track as well as this version? I listened to it and I did a little bit of research on the album it's off of with Cryptic Warnings. In 97, metal is out. It's out, out, out. Yeah, I mean, it's like dork territory. Yeah. And Megadeth were like, fuck it. Okay. And they just shed all the things that made them metal and went for this middle of the road rock sound that was just begging to be on your alternative station. And it's terrible. It's real bad. But this remix has improved it significantly. It's bad. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to defend this song. No. But, like, they basically took away all the instrumentation and wrote a whole new song and left Mustaine's vocal alone. Let me just play you a tiny clip of the the original version. Mm -hmm. And then I'll play you a tiny clip of what it sounds like totally redone because it's just night and day. 
Okay. Terrible. It was just awful, yeah. Now let me give you the Danny Saber mix. Right? Totally different. Made it way better. So much better. But it's still Dave Mustaine, so. Yeah. It's uh, not great. All right, well, welcome to the high point of the album. Uh, next up is Pitch Shifter with Genius, or should I say, Genius! <laughs> <laughs> that shit was so cool back in the day. It was so cool. They named themselves after a device that they use to make their music. That'd be like me naming my band guitar. <laughs> a pitch shifter is a filter or a pedal, or it's a device that can change basically the note that you're singing and like the, uh, you know, you can go up an octave and things like that. And they use mm -hmm. it in their music to mess with their vocals all the time. Oh, this was so cool. I, I, this was probably the song I played the most off of this album. Yeah, the key component of this song is this really like hard-picked bass guitar rip that was super popular for like a three-year window of industrial music. Mm -hmm. Do you remember uh, that early electronic music software program called Acid? Yes. It was like Fruity Loops, like you could just yeah. drop. It had that bass riff in it, and I would just make songs with it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> this song came off of their 1997 album, dot pitchshifter.com which was probably like whoa yeah <laughs> no, blew my mind by the way that domain has expired if you or a friend want to own it you can for six thousand three hundred and ninety five dollars or 24 monthly installments of 266 dollars and 46 cents this is the high point of the album yeah it's going down from here for sure <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I hope that was good for you, and I hope you enjoyed that, because the rest of this is going to fucking suck. <laughs> uh, next up is Scooter with Fire. Is this what they play at SoulCycle? I don't, I don't know. What, what is he? So, like, obviously these guys are, like, European, and I don't know that English is their first language, but the lyrics don't make any sense, and this guy just keeps going, Chili Bo, Chili Bo, and I'm, what, is he, <laughs> what is he talking about? Uh, Scooter is actually considered the most commercially successful German single record act with 23 top 10 hits. This track comes off their 97 album, The Age of Love, and I'm not making this next part up. It was also the last album to feature their keyboardist, Ferris Bueller. <laughs> Come on. I Come swear on. to God. I Come swear on. to God. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's real bad. It, it just goes real fast. He never shuts up. It's back to the family. I guarantee emergency. It's bad. And he does like the worst scream. He goes, fire. I hate it. It, it just sounds like a Zumba class come to life. I, I fucking can't stand it. Oh, next up is Cirrus with Back on a Mission. And was the mission to suck? Um, yeah, I mean, it's this This is a horrible song. It's not good. These guys actually had a hit, though, that was called Superstar DJ. Really? Uh, yeah, and that's, that's what they're mostly known for. The lyrics are nonsense. Try this out. It's a rat-a-tat on the nucleus of your brain cell. Come to rock the funky joint, so I might as well get on the one and have some fun and drop a break in the barrel of my shotgun. Boom, like a bolt of lightning goes my shotgun. It's it's white English guys rapping. Yeah, sounds like Kid Rock. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what the best part of this is? What? It's a bonus track. It's not even in the movie. They just threw that one in there for oh, you for wow. free. Well, thanks. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Let's talk about the next one. Oh, Psychosonic. For me, I think this might be my peak. This is the most Mortal Kombat song on the soundtrack, I think. 
This is a song I hate by a group I love with a member I hate. All right. I mentioned this group briefly in our Seven Dust episode, but as a refresher, Psychosonic was a techno group out of Minneapolis, and they released two full lengths, the last one being 1995's Unlearn. I did so much goddamn acid to this album. (laughs) I should be a jabbering idiot in some state-run facility. It's this densely layered, beautiful techno music with these soaring vocals, and it hit all the right places in my brain as long as every fiber of my brain was just soaked in hallucinogens. (laughs) I can't even imagine being on a hallucinogen and listening to this kind of music. Like, I feel like I'd just freak out. Oh man. This song is not emblematic of their overall sound. It, it was originally supposed to be included on their third follow-up uh, full length, which was called Spiritual Machine. And it never got released because they had disagreements with their label and broke up. Do you know the scene when this song comes on in the movie? Uh, fuck, remind me. You want to you watch it? I, yeah. <laughs> it is emblematic of how bad this movie is. Uh, so to paint a picture, Raiden gets kicked through a wall by three versions of Reptile, and then uh, then this happens. <laughs> you want to tell him what just happened? Uh, basically, we just watched the world's dumbest kung fu demonstration like nobody land nobody connects they're all just jumping and spinning kicking at each other but they're like five feet apart from one another <laughs> just brain just starts doing flips, flips all over the place <laughs> it's like a gymnastics class like nobody is fighting they're all just kind of in their own individual quarters jumping yeah. and spinning and yeah. fighting yeah. while uh psychosonic plays in the background And that would actually be all that we have to say about Psychosonic, if not for member Theodore Robert Beal. Nick, do you know about this man? Is is he a white supremacist? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he's a white supremacist. (laughs) You know how it goes on this episode. (laughs) You know how this show goes. Oh, God. It's it's not a Days of the New episode unless somebody turns out to be a white supremacist. <laughs> Days of the New. Your weekly anti-fascist new metal podcast. <laughs> Man, talking about a niche market. Uh, so. It's growing smaller every week. <laughs> <laughs> what up, Belarus? Uh, so... After Psychosonic broke up, Beale would go on to have success as the founder of a video game company and own patents to PC gaming controllers. And not content to rest on his laurels, he founded his own publishing house, focusing on novels in the fantasy and sci-fi genres. And then he turned his attention towards being a fascist. (sighs) It's a choice. Yeah. He adopted the pseudonym Vox Day and... He's heavily involved in the world of sci-fi writing. He was described in an article in the Wall Street Journal as the most despised man in science fiction. Wow. Yeah. From that article, in 2013, he was expelled from the science fiction and fantasy writers of America after he used the group's Twitter feed to link to his criticisms of a black female writer as an ignorant half-savage. Jesus. Yeah. He has called women's rights a disease and homosexuality a birth defect. 
Here's a few other blurbs from his Wikipedia. He is a self-described Christian nationalist, publicly supported the 14 words. Ah, Yeah. Written that women's suffrage has been a complete and unmitigated disaster across the West and is doubtful any society can survive it for long. He continues to be a piece of shit, and I hope nothing but bad things happen to him. Yeah, I mean, that's that's straight up Nazi shit right there. Yeah. Speaking of nothing but bad things happening to people, let's continue listening to this soundtrack. (laughs) (laughs) At least we're nearing the end-ish. Oh, thank Christ. Next up is Libra Presents Taylor with Anomaly calling your name granny's seven inch edit that's the thing i fucking hate about techno is that everything's a remix of a remix of a remix and it has to have the dub version the seven inch version so like every title is nothing but brackets it's infuriating this song is a trance song which is great because that's what i want a genre whose literal definition is a half-conscious state characterized by an absence of response to external stimuli. Put that in my movie about ninjas and wizards fighting to the death. Uh, I mean, there were so many in this genre. There were so many subgenres. You know, you had house, you had trance, you had jungle. Uh, yeah. There was it was just all over. I uh, yeah. I never quite knew what was what or one when started and one ended. Yeah, um, it all sucked. It's all terrible and it all goes on forever. I, <laughs> that's true. There are a handful of bands uh, that I like in this space and that I was really into. I, I, I shouldn't say I hate all techno. Have you ever heard of Gabber music? No, I don't think so. It was the answer to candy. It was the answer to like happy rave music. Okay. This is from a German band called uh, Nasenbluten, which stands for Bloody Fist. And uh, the song is called Fuck Anna Wood. Anna Wood was a 13-year-old from Australia who brought kind of the rave culture to uh, the public forefront after she went to a rave and apparently overdosed on ecstasy. So all of a sudden there was, uh, her parents are on all of these uh, talk shows talking about how, you know, we need to stop the rave culture, right? So here's Fuck Anna Wood. That was what I liked. Jesus, how did you not end up just on the darkest parts of the internet? <laughs> like, how, like, how do you not radicalize yourself listening to that? Like, you should be carrying a tiki torch in trouble. <laughs> Like, how do you not have, like, an eight tattooed on each forearm? <laughs> oh, man. You know, and there was a minute there as a teenager. I got really into runes. So oh, there no. before the, yeah, there before the grace of God am I not uh, making a uh, 12-hour long YouTube video <laughs> talking about the truth. Oh, my God. I would love to keep talking about this, but here comes Man Break, Ready or Not, the Ben Gross combat mix, and this is the fucking worst. This isn't my least favorite on the album, but I I do hate it. Wow. Here's their bio. They refer to their rebellious rock as post-grunge cinematic hip-hop. Fuck you. Yeah, and their members are Mr. Blonde, Roy Frost, John Snakey, Stew Boy, and Swindelli on vocals. <laughs> Swindelli. Swindelli. I fucking hate this. Oh, man. Yeah, this one for me, like, it sounded like it was made for a movie soundtrack. I let it go in one ear and out the other. I think I always skip this when I listen to the album. I oh, yeah. I remember ever hearing it. I absolutely did. 
So next up is Juno Reactor with Conga Fury. It's a thing. It's a thing. It features Amana Pando, which is a South African percussion ensemble. It's been around since 79, uh, which is well and fine. I don't mind the Juno Reactor track on the original Mortal Kombat soundtrack, but this just fucking sucks. <laughs> that's it. That's all yeah, I got to say it. about that one. Yep. The next one is real interesting to me. Yeah. Face to face with I Won't Lie Down, the combat mix. They killed my boy. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the best song on the album. Yeah. What the Mortal Kombat mix did to improve Megadeth went the opposite <laughs> way. way. <laughs> face to face. So face to face, for those that don't know, is like a SoCal punk band. I thought that I was cool when I when when this was on a CD that I owned because I remember seeing like cool older kids with face to face T-shirts at the time. Yeah. I was like, oh, so you like face to face? Yeah, me too. I didn't fucking know they were no. an industrial band. No. <laughs> and I mean, obviously, I got into face to face later as he's yeah. like punk rock became a priority in my life. They they they're a great band, absolute legends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can imagine like because they're they're like a band with humor. Like you know, they're, they're some of them are also in Me First and the Gimme Gimmies and like. Yep. Um, yep. The bass player of Face to Face is brother of Chris Shiflett of Foo Fighters fame. I did not know that. Um, Um, I just imagine them laughing their asses off when they heard this for the first time. Actually, I can tell you how this happened. Oh, fun. This remix was done, and I really had to scour for this. This remix was done by Chad Blinman, who has worked in some capacity on a ton of Face to Face albums. And 10 years after this, him and face-to-face vocalist Trevor Keith would form up to become the duo The Legion of Doom, who were, to my knowledge, the first to make mashup tracks exclusively of emo groups. Have you ever heard this? No, I never have. Okay, I'm going to play you. It's the 2006 album Incorporated. Check this shit out, dude. cool right yeah yeah 10 years prior to that this is what they were doing so there is precedent there uh i just found it amazing that this guy and the singer for face to face would be like hey we should mash up a bunch of emo tracks like that's so outside of their lane but you can start to see like why that would happen uh next up is urban voodoo with brutality and the only reason that this track is on this album is because of the name of this song. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I believe it was Mortal Kombat 2 or 3 where along with fatalities they started introducing like brutality and animality yeah. and friendship. Yeah, I think it was 3. It's an German industrial act and they were shopping the single for their latest album. They broke up the same year. Moving on. Next up is Lunatic Calm Leave You Far Behind <laughs> brackets v2 instrumental mix holy shit like i just can't with these i don't think i listen to this one you hear this a lot in fight scenes from late 90s movies uh, okay this was in the matrix it's just it. one of those you know it's, it's like just a, a stock, like stock footage but music yeah 100 yeah. percent. that's what it is here comes the worst part and i'm gonna make this a twofer the two worst songs on this album 
back to back are <laughs> the future sound of London with We Have Explosive radio edit and Sean Lemiri Emery whatever with two telephone calls and an air raid. I get so angry when I hear this and I don't want to live in this headspace anymore. But for the listener, I want you to hear what I had to hear. Holy fucking <laughs> shit. The Future Sound of London is one of my favorite band names. Yeah. Uh, while this song is, yes, it's annoying. It's a little bit cleaner. Like, especially when you compare it to two telephones and an air raid, it's a little bit cleaner than most of the stuff on this episode. Like, they were at the top of the genre. Like, they're, they were contemporaries to the Orb, Orbital, Chemical Brothers. Like, all the bands from the Trainspotting soundtrack, basically. And at least Future Sound of London, like, had the wherewithal to put the radio edit on it, whereas two telephone calls and air raid is just five hours agonizing yeah. minutes it's it's just hellacious I mean, it gives me a panic attack <laughs> yeah no it's terrible well, and the future sound of london song as it comes to an end you're like it's over i'm out of the woods and there's some nice chimes and then like a chicken gets slaughtered or something <laughs> <laughs> well, you hear like an animal dying at the end of that track Jesus. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> Good God. All right. Well, uh, next up is Joseph Bishara with Death is the Only Way Out. And no kidding, because I'm ready to eat a fucking bullet at this point. I had I had to stop, Kevin. I had to stop after two telephones. You there, right? motherfucker. <laughs> I'm faced. Fuck. Oh, my God. All right. Well, then I'll bring us home. That's what I do here. Next up is George S. Clinton featuring Buckethead with X-Squad original motion picture soundtrack score. And that is not the godfather of funk. No, but it is the guy that did the score for the um, Red Shoe Diaries. <laughs> Can you imagine that job? Like, all right, this is the part where they simulate where the penis goes in. Let's go for some strings. <laughs> Uh, you know, well, hey, thank God he he went he actually went on to win some awards for his work on uh, Big Mama's House Two, uh, the Santa Claus Three, the award-winning Big Mama's House, House Three. <laughs> uh, and in this track, he teams up with a guy who wears a bucket of chicken on his head. Yep, yep. Yeah, bu Buckethead, that was a guy that like they re he really tried to get famous there for a minute, and then mm -hmm. everybody remembered like, oh, it's 2004, and nobody wants to hear a. Electric guitar virtuoso anymore. <laughs> Sorry, dude. <laughs> All right. And then mercifully bringing us home is Kaz and Beale with theme from Mortal Kombat, Chicken Dust Mix. This is the only thing they've ever done. So I think it's kind of like the Immortals where it's something for a producer to put a write writing credit on. And I actually rather enjoy this one. Yeah. Do you want to you play a little palate cleanser at the end for everybody? Like, that, sh that shit slaps. Hell yeah. See, it's not all bad. Yeah, no, that, that was a nice way to end it. And, and thank Christ that brings to an end Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Nick, any parting thoughts on this? Definitely struck me as one of those albums 
that I was definitely discovering what kind of music I wanted to listen to and what kind of music I actually liked. I, I knew that the Megadeth song was bad <laughs> at the time, right? <laughs> but this is like as I was starting to get into heavy music and like, you know, the, I mean, I think everybody forgets like what a colossal impact the train spotting had on oh my just God, the American yeah. zeitgeist. Like Born Slippy was on the radio every couple minutes and like we definitely went through a mainstream techno thing and I was kind of into that, but I also really liked, you know, Rage Against the Machine and like I was, so I was just trying to find my way to navigate through the clouded, muddy waters that are rock music. But, you know, I graduated past this pretty quick. Uh, so this was just mm -hmm. a blip in time for me. And I definitely, like, de never listened to this whole album all the way through. <laughs> I'm never going to listen to this album ever fucking again. <laughs> After this, I'm, pu I'm putting the nail in the coffin on this one. Holy God. I just, I, I hate you. I mean, I hate to say you, you made me do Hoobastank. You made me do Mindless Self-Indulgence. <laughs> Orgy's second album, which only has one good song. <laughs> okay. All right. Fair, fair, fair. Well, can, can we, can we call it even? Yeah. Yeah. We're good. We're good. All right. All right. What you been listening to? This may be a repeat for me. I don't know. There's this band called In the Valley Below. Have, have I talked about them on the show before? Eh, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, the song's called Hymnal. Uh, it's a husband and wife duo. It's pop music, but it's real good. I saw them play about a year before Shutdown in a movie theater. They released like an art film, and we all had to wear headphones, and like they played the album and while we watched their art you film. You told me about that. That's yeah. pretty cool. It was pretty wild. They have a, a couple albums out, but their best song for me and the one that I just been listening to lately. I, I don't know. It puts me into a nice headspace. It's called hymnal and it's uh, really nice. So in the Valley below hymnal. And also uh, this, I don't need this. This isn't my, what I've been listening to, but just word out there. There's a new uh, spirit box song out there and it slaps. So yeah, check it out. It's real fucking good. I have been listening to AFI. Oh, hell yeah. It's not even October. <laughs> I know. Right. But they released a uh, new single not too long ago, which it's okay, but it got me like, hey, I should listen to more AFI. So I went all the way back to 2000's The Art of Drowning, yeah. which is bar none their best album. And if you've never heard it start to finish, it's a fucking classic. Uh, really, the best thing I can recommend for you is start with Days of the Phoenix yeah. and go from there. Yeah, uh, the Halloween EP is so good, too. I'd like to welcome my dog to the podcast. What up, <laughs> Nick, where can they find us? All right, we are on Instagram at Twitter at Days of the New... We've, uh, you know, had a little, little bit of a uh, little bit of new followers lately. And, uh, you know, uh, Tommy Vexed uh, blocked us immediately after finding <laughs> out that we did a show about him. Tough guy. Uh, he, Tough guy. Yeah, he also uh, just went on his little like six date tour in uh, Texas and he brought a tour bus. So anybody that knows the logistics of touring, it's extremely expensive to rent a tour bus. No one owns their own. You rent them. You got to pay for a driver full time. And he's he's making like $2,000 a show playing bars and girls. It's the most LARPy poser bullshit I've ever it's seen. It's all on credit. He'll make it up in uh, he'll make it up in door sales. Don't worry. Don't you think maybe you can put it on credit? <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, you can find me at Nick underscore the underscore knife on Instagram and Twitter. And you can't find Kevin on Twitter. <laughs> Fuck your joke up, Fuck buddy. Fuck you. All right. Well, you can find me on Instagram at K-J-D-E-L-U-R-Y. And oh, fuck. Um, there's one more thing I have to mention. I'm sorry. Yeah. Does the name Kyle Wyatt mean anything to you? No, I don't think so. All right. It should. 
here's a commercial advertising the release of Mortal Kombat on home consoles, which they were actually calling Mortal Monday. I remember this. Yeah, they made a two-minute commercial for it, so I'm just going to play you a little bit of it. Kyle Wyatt is the guy who did that Mortal Kombat (laughs) that got used over and over and over again. Did you know you can hire him? No. I did. (laughs) Nick, Nick, Nick. I don't know where to begin. Hmm. First off, my name is Kyle Wyatt. I did the iconic Mortal Kombat cry 29 years ago. And I've been brought into the situation. Um, Kevin, uh, Kevin just wanted me to reach out to you. Um, Kevin tells me that you guys uh, do a podcast together. It's called Days of the New. And you discuss new metal. Well, Kevin also tells me that uh, you talked to him about the Mortal Kombat Annihilation soundtrack and you guys wanted to discuss it on your podcast. And Kevin is very, very animate about this thing having absolutely no metal. He says it's awful. And he's got a bone to pick with you. Um, Nick, my friend, my friend, you made him write the episode. Well, Kevin wasn't too happy with it. He let me know some very, very choice words. I asked him to call you a twat. <laughs> I can't say online here. Um, but, uh, I think the only thing that uh, I wanted to let you know is he is very, very upset with you, Nick. Kevin is furious with the words that he used. It was twat. My goodness, dude. I'd wa- I would watch out. I would watch out. But the only thing that would make this uh, maybe come to a closure is instead of the mortal cry combat yell that I do, I'm gonna I'm gonna do something very special for for Kevin. Okay? Nick, Kevin wants you to know that this has no new metal And that's our episode. Fuck you, Nick. See you next week. Stop!